Well, it's good to be here with you. Good evening, everybody. I was terrified I'd say good morning, but we say good evening. So it's great to have you with us here on our first uh, Sunday evening service. So this is a new, new territory for us. Yeah. So we are really grateful that you decided to uh, come out with us, and I know it has to do with more than the taco cart. Right? Okay, yeah. you're like, no, not really. But anyway, so it's great to have you. Uh, we're looking forward to you at the end of this to uh, spend some time eating together and enjoying one another. So uh, tonight, I'm really excited uh, for the life of our church, not only just for this gathering, uh, but we are beginning a brand new series tonight. We're going to put our series to the book of Luke. We're putting it on pause for a little while. And we're beginning a brand new series tonight called Myths About God and Faith. And what we'll be exploring is, is, well, how this series even came about is there's a lot of people who come around Seacoast who are just kind of exploring the faith or new and, and kind of early on in their journey with Christ. There's some who maybe uh, have returned after an absence for whatever reason and are kind of reconnecting with God. And then there's some of you who maybe are seasoned Christians, you've been around a while, and, and I've had conversation with you that says like, you know, it'd be great for us to really have a good um, understanding of why we believe the things that we believe. And, and so as we thought about that, and we decided instead of just taking everything we believe or our statement of faith and doing a series about the statement of faith, we thought, okay, well, what are the most, the, the things about this that we would really love to address? And in that, we started thinking about what are some of the myths that we believe are myths um, about God and about faith that people, some, of, some inside the church and some outside the church may believe. And so what we want to do is actually address some of those and then, and then talk about why we believe the other viewpoint. And now let me give you a, a groundwork on some of this. And, and, and I believe, though, actually this series, um, for some of you, maybe you're stuck. You feel stuck. Maybe you have questions in your faith. Maybe you have been wrestling with some doubt, or, or maybe it's just, you know, life hasn't happened the way you thought that it, you were expecting it to, and, and there's times when you feel like, I, don't, I just don't know where God's at in all this. I believe that through this series, that if you lean in and engage, that God wants to set you free. He wants to meet you in your doubt and in your doubts and in your questions. And if you say, well, right now I feel pretty secure, he wants to strengthen your faith and build your trust in him. And for some of you, you need this. You need to be reminded that there's a God who wants you to know him and, and wants to walk with you. And so that's really what we're doing. Now, set the groundwork for this series and some of the parameters so you can understand what we're going to do. First of all, let me talk about what we're not going to do. And what we are not going to do is this is not going to be a series that is kind of an us versus them mentality. We don't want to take the approach that says anyone who believes otherwise is our enemy. And so if you believe any of these myths, you're, you're on the outside and we're on the inside. But rather, this one, we want this to be an exploration of truths that have been really wrestled with and talked about for the last 2,000 years. There's very intelligent Christians for the last 2,000 years who've come to these truths and tested them and challenged them and fine-tuned them, and so we want to explore those truths. None of these are ones that the leadership of Seacoast has come up with. They're not original to us. And, and so this, we want to do this in a way that we can understand and, and understand this historic, what we call historic Christian Orthodox thought. Now, and part of that is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter's writing and he says, always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have. 
In other words, understand why you believe what you believe, and when you interact with others, do it with all gentleness and humility. So we want to have the posture of gentleness and humility as we seek truth and want to understand what God has for us, but we want to do that with gentleness and humility. So this is not going to be an us versus them type mentality. Now, secondly, this is not going to be a series that, uh, using what we call apologetics. Apologetics is a discipline, uh, it's a field of thought that is uh, to give a defense for something that you believe or the reasons why you believe. Now, we will bring some of those elements in, but the, the purpose of this series is not purely an apologetics type series. So some of you like to uh, di- dive into the science and to the, you know, all of that side of the apologetics to explain and defend the faith. That's not the purpose of this, but rather we'll be more of exploring the theology of the reasons why we believe what we believe. Now, again, we will bring some other elements into that because it's important that we have a good understanding. So that's kind of where we're going, and uh, before we get into the text tonight, I want to invite you just to pray with me. God, we thank you for this time. I thank you even for the opportunity to gather together. I thank you for the opportunity to uh, seek truth, and I thank you that even in our doubts and in our questions that you don't turn your back on us, but actually you invite those, and you invite us in to this walk with you. And so God, tonight, would you speak to our hearts? Um, If there's some in here tonight who need encouragement, would you give them encouragement? If there's some who just need your comfort and your peace, would you bring your peace and your comfort? And God, would you meet us in this place where we're at? We thank you and give you this time in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. That's where we are starting here. We'll be going there in just a moment. The book of Romans is in uh, what we call the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Uh, If you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the Gospels, and Romans is just two books later, so you're you're close if you find those, or just poke your way there, tap your way there on your digital device if you prefer. We'll be getting to Romans chapter 1 in just a moment. But before we uh, get into that, let me start with our first myth that we're going to address today. The first myth that we want to talk about is a myth that says your faith must be blind. That faith must be blind. Or another way to think of it is that God is unknowable. That we can't really know about God. And so anyone who's to believe in God, it has to be a blind leap of faith. When some people think of faith, they think of this picture right here. They think of this is what it looks like. That you're just kind of jumping off a building. Uh, There is a picture coming. uh, That you'll be just jumping off a building and into the unknown. And and so some people think that this is the kind of faith God wants us to have, which is a blind faith. Some would say that God does not want us to ask any questions, but only blindly accept what we are told. But we don't think that that's necessarily the case. But it's a myth that's out there. The famous atheist and antagonist of Christians, Richard Dawkins, says this, Faith is the great cop-out. It's the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is a belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. So there's this myth out there that people who believe in God are unthinking, unintelligent people, and they just, we just blindly jump. And that God would be, be upset if we were to ever challenge or ask for answers in our faith. And of course, we believe that that's the opposite. We don't believe that God wants us to check our brains at the door and go through a life of faith purely on just belief with no reason to believe. 
In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it's one of the most important verses in the, in the Jewish faith. And we hold it in the Old Testament. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. It's this idea that your heart is kind of the, the seat of your emotions. It's your, uh, the, kind of the emotional side, your personality, that all that makes you who you are, it, it has imagery of from your belly of who you are to love God. But then love your Lord your God with all of your mind as well. We're told to engage our minds. So it's not just this blind kind of faith, but God instructs us to engage our mind, to ask questions, seek answers, try to understand him more. And be people who are thinking and seeking for answers. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to seek that matter out. It, it is, it, it, it's as if God has truths out there, and it's to his glory when we seek them out and find out more and more about him. Engage our minds and love the Lord our God with all of our minds. And finally, love him with all of your strength. And so actually, Christianity isn't just a one-track kind of way of thinking and approaching life. It's very holistic. In this one formative verse, it's saying to think and act and feel and do things for the love of God. It's your whole self that God it. So the myth to say, check your brains at the door is very unbiblical. God does not ask us to do that. Christian philosopher Greg Kokel says this. He said, biblical faith is based on knowledge, not wishing or blind leaps. Knowledge builds confidence, and confidence leads to trust. The kind of faith that God is interested in is not wishing. It's a trust based on knowing, a sure confidence grounded in the evidence. So we believe that God wants us to build our trust and our faith over time, and that's based on thinking, trying things, and testing and building up the trust. Now, so if we don't believe that faith must be blind, or that God cannot be known, then what do we, how, what do we believe? So we're going to address today just one part of one of our uh, faith statements, and it's the first one about God, and it talks about his wanting to be known and some other things. So let me show you, this is one thing that we want to address today. If it's not just blind faith, what do we believe about God? And this is what we do. We believe that God is, is one God, creator of all things, who's holy, personal, infinitely perfect. Now there's more to that statement that we'll be addressing in the weeks to come. Uh, we'll be addressing some of the myths that say things like all gods are basically the same with different names. We'll be addressing a myth that says the Bible is outdated and irrelevant. Uh, we'll be addressing myths like being good is good enough. And, and, and so we'll look at some of those. But tonight we want to look at this first part of our statement of faith that talks about one God who's creator of all things, who's holy Personal, infinitely perfect. So this is a holy God who's set apart. A holy God who is, who is other than humans. He's utterly different. Not man-made. Infinitely perfect, meaning that the things that we see, the things that, are, that we can perceive are not an accident. Your life is not an accident. You're not a mistake. We're not just random chance. That there's an infinitely perfect God who has an infinitely perfect plan for you and for me. And, and this God is also a, a God who wants to be known. And a God who isn't just leaving us here on our own, but a God who's left what I would call breadcrumbs, or uh, he wants to leave a, a, an idea of who he is. Because he's also a personal God who has a plan for us. And so when we think of this God, we, it, we see that there's a holy God, personal, infinitely perfect, creator, 
who wants to be known. And he doesn't ask us to just believe in nothing, but to believe in this God. So the question for us tonight is, why do we believe that this God can be known? Why do we believe that these things are true about God? And with that, let's start in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And this was written by the Apostle Paul. And, and by the way, the Apostle Paul is one of the most intelligent people that I haven't met, but who, one of the most intelligent writers in Scripture. He was in, incredibly well-versed in Hebrew Scriptures. He studied on, at the time, one of the world's most renowned um, Hebrew rabbis, Jewish rabbis. And he uh, was very good at philosophy. He was known uh, to speak probably up to four different languages. He was fluent in those. He was well-versed in Greco-Roman culture as well as the Hebraic culture. So this is an intelligent person who's writing. He was not always a Christian, and so most of his life he wasn't until he, when he had this encounter with God. And so the things that he's writing are very thoughtful. He's thought through these things. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He said, For since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. See, at the beginning of this here in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul's saying the very idea of God has been, and in, in who he is, his invisible attributes, and he, he mentions too, he says, the eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. They've been embedded and imprinted on the hearts and minds of, of humans. And it's interesting that if we look at all cultures throughout history, that there has been, all cultures have come to some sort of understanding or belief in a divine being. In, in the Christian world, we call that general revelation, that God has, in general, revealed himself to all people. And, and they may not have the specifics that we have in Scripture, but there's something embedded in the hearts and minds of people that says, there's got to be something more than this. Even some of the world's most famous agnostics and atheists sometimes wonder what if there is more out there. And so the question that we have, so Paul starts off and says, we all have this idea that there's got to be something more. But sometimes our hearts get darkened and we continue to turn away from the truth and actually mankind starts to worship the creation, not the creator. As people looked up at the stars in the sky and started looking at the vastness of the universe, they started worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars. When people saw the power in the waves of the ocean, instead of attributing it to God, they would start to say, well, there must be a God just of the sea, and they created gods and goddesses to worship. So Paul says, the more and more they ignored this evidence, they turned their hearts and started to worship creation, not the creator. But something about this God is still embedded in our hearts when God awakens us to see and to hear. So what are some of the things, I want to just give you a few ideas of how God reveals himself to us to this day. And by the way, there's far more we could say about all of this stuff, but tonight is just to in introduce you. So here's one way God reveals himself and makes himself known. Paul already mentioned it, but it's creation. In creation. 
When we see the created world, God is making himself known. Again, even the most uh, ardent atheists and agnostics have trouble when they look at creation in the vastness of the universe. Even Richard Dawkins himself, when he was asked, well, this universe is vast, it's massive, how did this all start? His only answer was, we don't know. And he said, well, what was here before everything we see? And he said, nothing. Nothing was here. It's called the nothing theory. It poses a question for everyone when we see what we see and wonder, where did this come from? But God wants us to know that the creation is here to tell of the glory of God. In fact, Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 says, all the heavens declare the glory of God and, and tell of his great works. So all of the heavens declare. Now think about this. That was written about 3,000 or so years ago. And this is before uh, our, our modern astronomy and technology helped us to understand how vast the universe really is. But some author about 3,000 or more years ago was standing in a field somewhere outside of Jerusalem looking up at the stars. And can you imagine with no light pollution how clear that probably was? And he's looking up and seeing these galaxies and seeing all these stars and said, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Now, Christopher Hitchens, who is a famous um, agnostic, says one of the reasons he doesn't believe in God is because of the vastness of the universe. He says because the universe is so vast, why would God choose one insignificant solar system and one insignificant planet and put people on that? He says, why would, they do, why would he choose to do that? So I don't believe that God would do that. That doesn't make sense. His view of it would be, why wouldn't he choose a bigger, more significant solar system, a bigger, more significant galaxy, and bigger, more significant planet? But see, Christopher Hitchens doesn't understand the purposes of God. See, Christopher Hitchens thinks that life is about you and me, and it's only about us. But all the heavens declare the glory of God. I actually think of his argument, and I think, well, isn't that showing that God wants us to know that we're small? Does, it, does he want us to know the vastness of the universe, and yet he is utterly personal and wants to know us, though we're insignificant, though the universe isn't spinning around us? That's incredible that the, glory, the heavens declare the glory of God. God doesn't want it to declare the glory of us. It's about our creator. And I hate to break it to you, but the, this book is not about you. It's about our God. And so when we understand that, then we can look up at the heavens and say, Oh my God, you are so powerful. And yet, you consider us in this insignificant solar system, on this apparently insignificant planet, yet you consider us. So creation calls out and declares the glory of God. We look at in the, in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in our Bibles, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John Stott is, uh, wrote the book Basic Christianity. He writes this. The first four words of the Bible are more than an introduction to the creation story in the book of Genesis. They supply the key which opens our understanding to the Bible as a whole. They tell us that the religion of the Bible is a religion of the initiative of God. You can never take God by surprise. You can never anticipate him. He always makes the first move. He is always there in the beginning. Before man existed, God acted. Before man stirs himself to seek God, God sought man. 
In the Bible, we don't see man groping after God. We see God reaching after man. So creation itself, the way we understand it, tells us something about our God as well. It tells us that he is an initiator. He starts things. He pursues people. He begins things. And he doesn't just leave us here in random chance, but he has a plan in all of this. Now, for some of you, just a a quick side note. When we think about creation... There are some, maybe even in this room, who believe uh, when you read creation, you read it and it says that God creates the world in six days, will say that, yeah, we believe that to be 100% true, that God used six literal days to create the earth, and the earth as we see it was created, you know, maybe six to 10,000 years ago, and this is how God created. Now, some people hold that view in here, and others will hold a view that says we believe God created, but time is a little bit outside of human understanding, and, and so the earth is maybe a lot older than that, and, but, it, but they have a belief that God creates um, through different means over the course of a, a longer period of time. Now, for those of you who are leaning in and saying, okay, what do we believe? What's the answer? I'm not telling you, <laughs> but what I want to tell you is the point is God created, and we believe that God created all of this. We believe at the beginning that there is a creator. And again, for an atheist who says uh, they don't believe that God created any of this, they have a big question to answer. We know that matter exists, so the question is, well, how did matter get here? Some would say it's always been here, to which then you can say, well, so you must believe in eternal things then, and eternal things and infinite things like God. Or this matter hasn't always been here, and at some point in time it was created. Then you would have to ask the question, well, how did it get here? Who created it? It's a difficult thing. It's a point in which Christians and non-Christians have to have a little bit of faith. But we believe that the creation story tells us about our God. The next thing that tells us about God is people. People tell us about God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says that God creates uh, man in his image, male and female in the image of God. And that means that not any one of us can fully possess all the attributes of God in and of ourselves. If, if you think you have all the attributes of God, just turn to the person next to you and ask them which ones you're missing, and they'll probably help you. So none of us fully embrace that, but that's why Jesus calls us the body of Christ as Christians, that collectively we give a better and clearer picture of who God is, because his fingerprints are in our lives. His DNA is in us. We bear the image of God. We, unlike all other creatures that have been created, are unique. We're different. And though, yes, we do share some similarities with, say, some apes, but the differences, every scientist will tell you, are far greater than the similarities when you really get down to the nitty-gritty. See, there's something unique about humans. And I believe it's one of the things that tells us about our God. My wife and I have a good friend who's an artist, and she uh, gets to display and sell her work every summer at the Laguna Beach Pageant of the Masters. It's a pretty prestigious place for artists. And this summer we were there, and we got to see her work and walk around and look at the other displays. And one thing became very apparent quickly is that you, as soon as you see an artist's style, you can pick it out anywhere. Because most artists have a very distinct way of doing their art. It's, it tells, the art tells of the artist. The creation tells of the creator. And not just their style, but also the story that they tell through their art often reflects something about the life and the personality of the creator, of the artists. That's how we are as humans. The fact that humans can be rational 
Sometimes we are rational, actually. We have the capacity to be rational. Let me put it that way. We have the capacity to be logical. We can be romantic. We can be loving. We can be creative. These are all the things that demonstrate the fingerprints of God on our life that are different than everything else in creation. We can even be kind of whimsical or superfluous. I, I, I look at the ocean and out surfing. Like, who does that? Who thinks of an event, something to ride on just to get more thrill in the waves? Now, there's times I've looked and seen dolphins and sea lions and think, are they actually surfing too? But humans always take it to the next level. I don't know, have any of you ever seen those People Are Awesome videos that kind of show up viral every once in a while? I love watching those. I think they're, because I think they're pretty impressive. But I have a quick, here's 30 seconds of one of those for People Are Awesome. And take a look up here. <laughs> people are awesome! <laughs> Some of you are saying, people are stupid! I, I get that too. See, there's something about us that causes us to want more. I mean, look at that. Some guy can hit a golf ball and knock the beer cap off his beer. That's pretty impressive, right? I don't see chimpanzees doing that. So these are just, these help us to see when we look at people, we say there's something different. It's the the imprint, the fingerprint of God in our lives. So we have creation, we have people. And then the third one for tonight, the final one, is we have prophecy or we have prophets and scripture. And this is where we turn to the Bible and say that this book helps us and reveals who God is. That God sent and had specific revelation, different than general revelation, specific general gen- revelation through people, through prophets, and through events in history. Now, some of you say, yeah, but what if I don't trust the Bible? Well, that's coming up in a few weeks. We'll look at that. But we believe that the consistency of the biblical narrative is one of the reasons that, or that God wants us to see that he is real. He's left this to give evidence of his existence. And the consistency from the beginning, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, how they fit perfectly with the New Testament and point to Christ. When we, my family was living in Israel, I remember one night we were having the Sabbath dinner uh, with a couple families, and one of the people there was a, a scholar, and he was a Messianic Jew, but he grew up as an Orthodox Jew. And when he was uh, serving in the Israeli army in the 60s, he started to read through scriptures in the original language, and, and he started thinking like, wait, this is pointing to something more. Until his life, eventually, he realized that it was pointing to the Christian uh, Jesus, and and he saw that all of this was actually the Jewish Messiah, and the fullness of of prophecy and scripture was pointing to Jesus, and it convinced him. Paul writes, and actually says this in Acts chapter 26, verse 22, at this point, Paul was on trial for his faith, and he was speaking to some uh, Roman prefects as well as a Jewish king, and he says this, Having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that Christ would suffer, and that by a reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 24, verse 25, he says, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all scripture. See, scripture has been pointing to Christ. And it's one way that God makes himself known, the consistency of the message. Now, are there some questions in scripture and some things? Yeah, there are. 
But the consistency of the whole narrative points us to Jesus and the prophets and Moses is another way of saying the law. Everything written in the Hebrew scriptures point to Christ. Now, as we look at that, all of this tonight, uh, for me, it, it, this almost feels a little bit personal in a really cool way. You see, because uh, I really believe that God wants to reveal himself in many, many ways. Uh, a few years ago, I met someone who became a friend of mine, and when I first met him, he, he found out I was a pastor, and he said, oh, well, my wife is a Christian, but I'm a scientist. And I looked at him and said, is that the opposite of Christian? I didn't know that, but okay. But there was this belief that, well, I, I'm kind of thinking, and I'm the scientist, so I'm not a Christian. But I got to thinking even further back to the story of even my wife, who grew up not in a Christian home, and she actually loved science. And, and, and in high school, spent some time eating lunch with her high school teachers, which was really confusing to me, because when I had to do that growing up, it wasn't by choice. Just say that. But she used to spend some time with her science teachers, and in our high school, of the five science teachers, I believe four of them were Christians. And they would talk with this kind of skeptical young high school girl and, and say, you know, science, it, it answers a lot of questions, and it keeps seeking for more and more answers, but they came to the conclusion that there's got to be something more, and it actually caused them to believe. And I believe for some of you or some of your friends or some of your family members that God wants to reveal truth because he wants you to believe. He wants your friends to believe, your family to believe. Now, some of you might say, well, it's hard to believe. It's hard to trust. It's hard to believe that this is all true. I get it. Faith isn't easy. Uh, a couple months ago, one of my sons who loves to fish, he and uh, some of his buddies said, Dad, I want to buy a boat. I'm like, okay, you're 15. Sure, you want to buy a boat. He said, yeah, I want to buy a boat because we want to take it out in the ocean and we want to go fishing. And, and, we, and I was like, okay. And he said, we found a boat on OfferUp for $400. And I went, oh, $400 and you want to go out in the ocean. Okay. And I said, it's not going to run. He says, no, the guy says it runs. I'm like, sure he says it runs. He says, okay, so they found a boat. It had a live bait tank. It had a motor and it had a trailer for $400. So I said, go for it. So they bought it. I have a picture of the boat. Here's the picture of the boat. There you go. An ocean-worthy vessel right there. So he buys this boat and says, okay, now we can go out in the ocean and go fishing. I was like, I'm not going out in the ocean in that thing. And so after a couple of weeks, we had it on our driveway, we worked on it, got it fixed up a little bit, and turned on the, the motor, and the first time that thing fired up, I looked at the look on, on his face and his friend's face, they're like, yes, all right, it works, let's go to Catalina. <laughs> but I said, you know, um, I don't even know if this thing floats, so let's go to Lake Hodges first. And so we went to Lake Hodges, put it in the water, went around the lake, we had to make some adjustments after that, but it floated. So then we got it running a little better. They took it out to Mission Bay, and oh, the whole day spent driving around the bay. It went like six hours. It floated the whole time and ran the whole time. So then, okay. So then two weeks ago, here's a picture of us four miles in the ocean off the shore, off of Point Loma, fishing for yellowtail, not catching any, but catching some calicos, some barracuda, bonito. But see... If the first time that he came home, he said, let's go out there. If he said, let's go, I would have said, ah, I'm not quite ready to do that. 
I'm not quite ready to go out in the ocean. But see, it was a process of building my trust in this boat. Building up to see, let me test what I think is true to see if, okay, it floats. Okay, it runs. Okay, it runs long enough to get us there and back. Now, I did tell him we better bring CB and, you know, flare guns, tow ropes, paddles, life vests, all those things, of course. But if the first day he said, let's go out into the ocean, there's no way. And faith can sometimes be like that. It's hard to go from not believing to being ready to jump all the way in. For some of us, we need to build up our trust. We need to test things that we believe to be true. We need to seek answers. And we need to see as God shows up and reveals himself that we can trust a little bit more and a little bit more. And it doesn't mean that that boat's going to work every time. There's times when, I don't know, we might be stuck out there for a while. Faith is like that. You know, I was thinking of a guy in, in Scripture. His name is Elijah. In, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah has this incredible encounter with God. And he sees the power of God show up in a mighty way. And, and he defeats the prophets of, of this false god named Baal. And it's just this huge victory that if any of us saw that, you would think, oh, I believe in this God. That, shakes my, that makes, shapes my faith in a way that I will never doubt. That's chapter 18. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we find Elijah out in the desert, running away. He was alone. He was frustrated. He was saying, God, I don't even know if you're there. Just let me die. I don't know if you're with me. I feel all alone. I'm the only one who believes this stuff. And so in chapter 19, God tells Elijah, I want you to go to the mouth of this cave that you're hiding in, and I'm going to show up. So he goes there, and there's a great earthquake. The ground is shaking. But the writer of this book says that God was not in the earthquake. And then there was a great fire. Maybe it was lightning or something sh just shooting down and a great thunderstorm, and Elijah thinks, oh, God, certainly God is showing himself in this. But God was not in the fire. And then there was this great wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And then Scripture says that there was a gentle breeze. In Hebrew, we could even say it was a whisper. And in that whisper, that's where God showed up. And he said, Elijah, you're not alone. Elijah, I know you have doubt. I know you want answers. But I'm with you. And by the way, there's 7,000 others just like you waiting for you. Some of you are here today and you feel like God has left you here all alone without answers. Maybe you're the only one in your family who believes. Maybe you're the only one in your workplace who believes. Maybe you're the only one in your science class who believes. 
and you look around and there's times you say, God, are you there? And perhaps as Kayla said earlier that we're looking for those big things and God's saying, I've been showing myself many ways. But tonight, some of you need to hear that God doesn't leave you in your questions and your doubts. That he's not leaving you alone. That he's not going to leave you there to figure it out all alone. That he's going to journey with you. And so tonight, I wonder if there's some in this place who need to hear from God. The gentle whisper. And you know, there's times we need the earthquakes. There's times we need the big signs. There's times we need to stop and listen and see all the thousand little ways that God is whispering to you and to me. Let's pray as we end our time. Lord God, I thank you so much that you're a God who wants to be known. I thank you so much that you're a God who doesn't require just blind faith, but you've left evidence of your existence. And Lord, I thank you that even in our doubts, in our questions, in the things that challenge us, in our heartaches, in our hardships, Lord, that you want to meet us in those. That you want to reveal yourself through those. You want to turn those around to make them into a beautiful story. And so, God, in this place tonight, I pray that you'd speak to each of us. And if there's anyone here tonight who needs to take that first step back to you, Lord, did you speak to their hearts? And if that's you tonight, with our heads bowed, eyes closed, I just want to ask you to pray in the quietness of your heart. Pray this prayer with me. If you want to take a step of faith towards Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe you're returning, would you pray with me and pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I may have questions. I might have doubts. But help me in my unbelief and be the Lord of my life. And if that's you tonight, if you prayed that prayer, you're beginning that journey. It's a step in trusting and believing that Jesus is real. And for others tonight, maybe we just need to hear from God. Maybe we just need to affirm what we believe. And so in your heart, would you just affirm that tonight? Lord, we ask that you speak in this place, and as we sing this final song, reveal yourself to us. Receive our praise and declaration to you.